This is the Common Sense Podcast presented by Tamar. I'm your host, Tamar Weinberg, founder and CEO of Tamar, and I will be talking to people of all walks of life who have suffered adversity and overcome to rise above the ashes and now make self-care and wellness an absolute priority. Hi, everybody. Today, I have Dana Middleton, and she is checking in from, well, where are you, Dana? I am in eastern Idaho, just outside of Jackson, Wyoming. So I'm at the foot of the Tetons, which is where I live. So it's a little early for you. Uh, Not too bad. 1020. It's pretty, yeah, pretty, pretty late. It's early. I make sure that my first podcast is always at noon for myself personally, just because, yeah, I guess there's some, I get work done in the morning. (laughs) I don't know. That's nice. Yeah. Yeah. A little bit. Yeah. So um, thank you so much for joining. Tell, Tell us about what you do and how you got there. Sure. So gosh, that could take forever as you get older in age, um, that happens. But today I'm doing kind of an interesting mix of things. I've become a consultant for the last year or so. Um, I'm working a lot right now in helping a few startups get on their feet in various, um, various stages really, which is fun. I have about four of those. And then I'm also working with companies of all different sizes really on, um, they come with really an inclusion or diversity concern, obviously with a social justice uh, rise that we have right now and the good healthy conversations we're having about race. But um, to us, it's much bigger than that. The company that I work with is called Prism Work and we have a real diverse team who comes in and helps companies prepare for the 21st century workplace, which is very different than it has been in the past. Um, So I'm doing a lot of work there and then continuing to do some strategy work. So um, I like the varied combination of things, keeps my mind busy um, in today's strange world that we're living within. Nice, nice. Yeah, I like monotony. I mean, I don't like monotony. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) I definitely like a little bit of diversity as well. And I You know, you introduced yourself beforehand. You gave me a little bit of your background in in the context of like moving from one career to another. So um, I I definitely feel the same way. It mimics my life in terms of like I was a systems administrator and then I became and worked in marketing and now I'm in fragrance, which is not exactly the thing I would have ever imagined that I'd be in. (laughs) So tell me a little bit about your career trajectory and talk about your unconventional rise to where you are today. Sure. Yeah, it's a, it's, it's a strange, um, world that we live within and, um, Hard to know. I think it's every day is kind of a new adventure in my career. Certainly, I, I didn't say I'm going to grow up to be X and became that and nothing else. But I um, I, I have a degree in journalism, and um, that, that led me down more of the marketing path. So um, my first big career stint was at Hewlett Packard. I spent 16 years there, mostly in marketing and communications, although I did report into engineering for a short period of time and even was a patent holder for mobile printing way back in the days before we really knew that printing from your phone was going to be a big thing. Um, But HP was a great foundation. Um, I was there during HP's glory days and learned a lot about great leadership um, and got to work around the world with colleagues and work with big budgets and with some of the best marketing partners in the world. So all that I look back upon as a great foundation for my career. I, toward the end of my time and stint at HP, I was noticing a big shift happening in marketing 
to me, um, marketing had always been about persuading people to think differently about a product or service. But certainly, if you think about the 2006, 2007 timeframe, it was much more about getting people to participate with you. And so that's when I started to write my first book, which is called Marketing in the Participation Age. And I decided to take a stint outside of HP and work on the agency, the marketing agency um, side of the world to work on multiple brands to really experiment with my ideas. So I went to work for a publicist-owned company called Moxie Interactive. Um, they, I felt, were very progressive at the time. They had media, technology, and creative all under one roof, which, of course, is really important today. And I was there for a couple of years, um, really pioneered the paid social media practice there. Um, and at the about two years into my stint, um, Publicis bought Performix, which... Um, if you recall, Performix was part of the double-click acquisition that Google made, the largest acquisition, actually, that Google's ever made, or second largest now. And um, so Publicis bought the services side of the business. It would have been a conflict of interest for Google to keep that. And so I took the helm as CEO and ran it for four and a half years, took it from about $14 million in revenue to $150 million, um, in in that time. And definitely uh, grew it from being just a U.S.-only business to a global business and created the performance marketing category. Um, so that was really a great ride. I think for me it was my first CEO opportunity and taught me that I could actually be a leader uh, of that caliber. I had never really um, thought that I could. Um, and so at that point I kind of poked up my head and thought, what do I want to do next? Um and I had some friends who had gone to work for Twitter, and so this was in the 2014 timeframe. And so I went to run B2B marketing at Twitter, really standing up that global team. Um, it's the marketing team supporting sales. And a uh, very interesting time to be at Twitter. Um, Jack uh, came back and Dick left, Dick Costello left. And um, so really turbulent cultural time, but definitely had a great global team, and it was an interesting experience on the publisher side of the, of the world. Um, and from there, um, I was actually working on my second book, which is about gender differences um, in the workplace, and um, called Grace Meets Grit. And so I took a bit of time, left Twitter, took a bit of time to finish my book, and then I went um, and became a leadership coach for a private equity firm in, in California, working with their executives and portfolio companies. Um, which was a great extension for me and a great um, <clears throat> kind of a left turn, I guess, in the sense that I suddenly was not the leader, but trying to help leaders become better leaders. I think it was a really good experience for me to get an inside out view of leadership and really even assess my own leadership strengths and weaknesses. Um, all leaders have both. And <clears throat> so that was a great experience, but I also learned the ins and out of private equity, which I had never really had the opportunity to do either. And so um, at that point, I decided to take the helm of a, um, a PE-backed uh, holding company, not within the same firm that I was working, but a different one. And so I became the CEO of Ansira, which is a 100-year-old marketing and technology firm um, that really works with brands who have a centralized location and a local location. So think about auto dealers or restaurant chains or retail. Um, and that was a great experience, um, really uh, 
got some um, some good organizational change, integration, and acquisition um, experience under my belt. Um, and I left about a year ago, and um, like I say, now have been really consulting. Very cool, very cool. Yeah, you know, it's it's interesting to kind of hear your path. And you, you, you had said earlier that you're not really sure what you want to be when you grow up. I understand that. I'm hoping that I'm finding what I need to be when I grow up now. But your path, I have to say, it's it's kind of similar to mine. I started in, you know, I, I majored in computer science and decided to be in systems administration. I really liked working with people. I hated computer science. I hated coding, and it was very theoretical, I think that it just didn't lend itself to what I wanted to do is to learn how to actually program. I thought it was a little less focused on that. So I ended up diverging from my the path that I felt that I wanted to do since I was a teenager and started working in um, systems administration and ended up working at a marketing firm. And at that marketing firm, I was pretty much, we were starting to run a lot of our social media initiatives. And for me, that was actually like, uh, that was kind of fun. It gave it, it made me realize, you know, that's actually what I wanted to do. I always wanted to interact with people online, and so and computer science was the closest thing to getting on on the computer in mm-hmm. college. I worked for Mashable, and I was employee number six at Mashable actually, and we actually dealt with Moxie a few times. I oh, yeah. So that was kind of fun. Um, and then I also wrote books. I wrote two books. I, I wrote a book on social media marketing in 2009. I gave birth to my son and I gave birth to my book pretty much <laughs> at the same time. Both of them were due in June. The boy came in May and the book came in July. Um, but yeah, that was fun. And then I actually wrote a completely different book as well uh, in, in genetic genealogy that was published about uh, about two years ago now. So I, it's very divergent topics, but it's like, you know, it's fun to, to kind of work on these things and become, I can't consider myself an expert, but I consider myself an enthusiast who's able to authoritatively to the most, to, I guess, the closest degree report on these things. I have a question for you in terms of Twitter, just cause you're in, you know, you're, you're not in this, in, in the Bay area. Were you working remotely? Cause I know Twitter does have had a slight remote culture. Just, just curious. Or, or did you relocate after the fact? Yeah, I've never relocated firmly. I've always had my foot planted here because it is part of my self-care routine is being close to the land and to nature. But I did have an apartment in the Bay Area. So when I was at Performix and ran Performix, I had an apartment in Chicago. When I was at Twitter, I had an apartment in San Anselmo and definitely commuted all over the world, obviously, for both. When I was at in Sierra, I had a house in Texas. And so... Um, I've always done this remote gig. In fact, the last five years that I was at Hewlett Packard, I didn't even have a desk on site. We didn't do it back then. So that was before we had all these great technology tools that enable remote work. Um, So now, of course, Twitter has gone 100% virtual and they're looking at getting rid of their corporate headquarters and they're really thinking outside the box, which is the way I think many companies are now starting to rethink, which I've always been a proponent of. It's you hire the best people. It doesn't matter where they live. You travel when you need to, and you have great work best practices and great um, communications and leadership. Um, And it can be done from anywhere, honestly. Yeah, I really struggle with that. I always felt that 
I wanted to work remotely and I felt that company cultures, uh, I, Twitter, Twitter being the exception, but I couldn't find something that fit me uh, for what I was looking to do. I, you know, I always looked at Google and Facebook and those were definitely not until the pandemic, definitely not cultures that wanted to have you working remotely. Yeah. And, uh, and then there were a couple of companies out there that embrace and flaunt the fact that they're open to hiring a virtual team, but because they're so loud and proud, I think they're, they clearly are attracting so many applicants that even if you stand out, and I'm not even speaking for myself, but even if you stand out, it's so hard to be seen because by the time they hit like your 700th application, they're not, they're, they don't care. <laughs> like, that's the thing. And I've done this. I've hired remotely as well. Mm-hmm. I've worked in the capacity of um, hiring for a, some very, very high profile jobs and, and also doing the same thing. I've competed with hundreds to thousands of people and wading through those applications, you're just eventually you're just, I don't care. So extraordinarily difficult, although I do applaud companies for finally doing that. And I said to myself, and I tweeted this out the other day, I'm not sure if I'm happy that they did this or if I'm uh, a little, like it's, it's sort of too little too late or the fact that, you know, like, because for me, I'm, I'm done. I'm, I've already moved on. And I realized that I couldn't find the environment that I wanted to have for myself and my work, um, my remote desire to like work remotely. Uh, so I decided to create my own thing. Um, and I said, you know, um, uh, like, there's, I don't know if there's a little bit of uh, jealousy there in the sense that it's nice that they finally caught up. I just wish that they caught up when I was part of that, when I was, yeah. when I was in that, in that workforce and trying to look for um, my own thing. So it's just, it's just an interesting dynamic right now. It is. And we're seeing a lot of companies that um, are, I think this is part of this 21st century workplace that are still struggling with the old leadership styles and they don't have good management best practices. So if you don't have one-on-ones with your team, if you don't have good team meetings, if you aren't evaluating your people on outcomes, if you are uncomfortable or insecure with not seeing your people and believe or distrust that they aren't working uh, when you're not seeing them, then it's going to be tough to make that leap. And I think that's part of the work that we're doing in helping these companies really take a huge leap because the combination of the pandemic and then we had the um, racial justice conversations, it's a real wake-up call and companies are starting to recognize that this stuff they've kind of had on the back burner or haven't prioritized or they haven't really um, addressed them head on suddenly have to be addressed for their own survival. Right, right. You know, I, I see the same thing, uh, but I also have noticed and I've read some articles about this, about how people in general are more productive working from home. I mean, you're saving significant amount of time to, uh, f- from not commuting and oh, that's yeah. one thing, but, um, even so it's just like the, there's the office chatter is office chatter. It's just not, it's most people are not so, you know, productive in the office when you're, when you're focused on here, it definitely is a learning curve for me personally, working remotely, um, has, has been, has been difficult in, in, in sort of like my, I remember my initial adjustment was difficult, but once I got it the groove in the groove, it was great. And 
it is important, I think, for companies to also make sure that we are able to take time for self-care. So like when I said, uh, I, I like to start my podcast at 12 o'clock because I like to work in the morning. Well, part of that is, and it's not always every single morning, but part of that is you know maybe going outside and going for a run so that I start my day invigorated and energized. And uh, for me, that's what I did. I ran a 5K this morning. I'm kind of dead, but it's good to know that I was able to do it. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So I want to uh, tackle the second part of the podcast is kind of talk about your, um, I guess your rise above adversity story. I know you have one, so I do. Yes. Yeah. So I, you know, I lost my first husband when my kids were really little and, um, you know, I was the primary breadwinner of the family. I guess that's the fortunate piece. But, um, you know, it was a real challenge. It was a surprise. It happened very quickly. My kids were two and six at the time. So still pretty little. And I didn't have family that lived nearby. So I was working at Hewlett Packard at the time and, um, you know, had to find folks to uh, volunteer to take care of my kids when I was headed out on business trips, et cetera. So, so yeah, that uh, there's a lot I don't remember about that time. I know that I, um, I think my kids helped me honestly get through it because I knew I had to be there for them and I was all they had. And so that meant that I had to trudge forward and not really um, focus on the negativity that had happened, but really look forward to um, what was the next step and how was I going to make it work for them. So that certainly... Um, was a big deal in my life. I think I broke my hand during that time as well, which at a certain point you start to wonder, okay, now what's going to happen next? But I have this philosophy that you, you know, you shouldn't really live by regret and you shouldn't um, think about what is, shouldn't have happened to you. You know, let's not play the victim rather that let's keep trudging and take action and, um, and move forward. And that's really how I've approached life. It's how I'm approaching the pandemic. I guess that's how we're all having to do one day at a time and determine how we're going to make it through this. I think in consulting, it's been a little bit um, precarious. There have been starts and stops, obviously. Um, work that I thought was going to come through didn't. Other work came and you just kind of have to trust and faith. And then kind of like you have mentioned, um, Tamara, just taking control of your own um, destiny and forging your own path. That's, um, that's kind of how I operate. Yeah. That's gotta be hard. How are the kids now? How old are they now? Uh, they're great. They're let's see, 34 and 26. And then I have one from my most recent marriage who is, um, 36. So I can't believe that I have kids in my thirties. Like how did that happen? And I have five grandchildren. So, so they all turned out fine. <laughs> and that's that's the thing to remember yeah yeah that's gotta be that's gonna be crazy very very hard especially when they're little wow yeah yeah but you know you, you also said you know what's going to happen next and you're starting to think about that now I mean I'm just trying to mimic mirror that in, in 2020 and I'm just like looking at my bingo card right now and seeing uh the bubonic plague and all these things <laughs> like where, where, where what is going on right now i have no idea it's 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 the craziest thing um but you know i guess we all have to realize that we can and will overcome and hopefully things will be better and 
I don't know if the word normalize is the appropriate word here, but hopefully things will be better for everybody soon and we'll be able, like I've said in previous podcasts that we're all kind of in the process of like overcoming adversity right now, rising above the ashes because Mm -hmm. everything here right now is just, I don't know. I feel like I'm in this episode of the following. If you're familiar with that show, uh, Kevin Bacon was in it and he's like this guy who's trying to, take down this cult where people are normalizing killing people for fun and I'm just like I feel like they they justify it in in their psychology is just like they I I just it's unfathomable and then I realize (laughs) that this is my life right now because everything going on right now is unfathomable people being irresponsible with life Mm -hmm. in the way that they are it's I don't don't want to make this political I'm not trying to but at the same time Mm -hmm. and I'm not I'm apolitical myself but like I don't know where we are I can't I can't wrap my head around it yeah I think it's going to be a real lesson in humanity and what we're each having to do to think not only about our own needs but others needs are really um critical uh, and this is this is our opportunity, right? Is to to rise above that as well, and 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 it will. The jury's still out. Will that happen? I don't know. Yeah, it feels like this prolonged test from I don't know where, but it's definitely uh, a trial and a tribulation for humanity right now, and hopefully we can persevere as as a as a collective body. But otherwise, the as, and I, I, again, I don't want to make this political, but there's a great tweet right now that like in, a mask isn't a political agenda, it's an IQ test. And yeah, it's totally. <laughs> we'll see who's smart to be able to respond. Uh, we will. Yeah. Anyhow. And such a small inconvenience for others, right? Such a small inconvenience, really. Yeah, I was, I went, I went out of state to visit my in-laws this past weekend and going and even though it's required in the in, uh, it was pennsylvania even though it was required to wear masks the two people that were there uh, met a, a father with his son and a, a mother with her daughter were not walking around in masks and i'm just like I, I wanted to say something but at the same time i wasn't in my home state and i didn't feel like it was my place but like Oh, like I just yeah. want, it's almost like I need to take pictures of you all these days. We just need the Twitter <laughs> mom to name and shame. But like, you can't, if you had a medical reason there, and I, I, I still say I don't want to make this political, but if you have a medical reason, I'm sure you can find people to help you because you can't go out. So the people who yeah. aren't doing it are doing it out of an act of defiance. But mm-hmm. if you have a medical reason and you have your children with you, then one of you should be wearing a mask. I don't know who it's, but that's obviously it's again, it's an act of defiance. Anyway, yeah. moving on, <laughs> you know, I want to <laughs> talk about, yeah, I know. Right. We should always be talking about conversation. Like I couldn't, can you imagine that a year ago we were, we would have conversations like this, like what mask am I going to wear today? Or like, no. you know, I'm packing my wallet no. and my phone and my mask. Like what mask? What are you talking about? Like, just see, and hand myself. sanitizer. Yeah, hand no, sanitizer. All those things, yeah. <laughs> oh, man, it's insane. And yeah, I, I yeah. did find myself subconsciously washing my hands a lot more than I usually do because it's like it's, it's ingrained into my mind. It's crazy. Yeah. Anyway, 
yeah, let me let me talk about because you're talking about hand sanitizer, so you're talking about self care. <laughs> so I guess we could use that as a foray into your self care routine and how you also made living in Idaho um, part of that. So talk to me a little bit about that. Sure. So I grew up in the American West, and it is part of my soul. I like the perspective of feeling very small. I think it's healthy from a mental standpoint, especially as you rise in power. You know, there's a lot of studies that really talk about how the more power you have, the less perspective you get. Um, And I think, you know, being humble and connected is really important to me. And so, you know, I do live in the great American West. I do walk out my door and I feel very small and I love that. And I can walk into my 30 acres and disappear and just explore. And it, it's, it's a wonderful feeling. So, so that's part one of my self-care. Part two is um, like you like to run, I like to dance. And so um, uh, there's a great program called ULA, which is the, the, the latter part of Missoula because it was created there. And it's a, much more than just a dance class, unlike um, Zumba. It's, it's really choreographed with really um, carefully curated power songs that help keep your spiritual, mental, emotional, and physical health all together. And I do that every single day. Now more online. We have a great ULA program here locally, um, but there's a great online program as well um, that I love. And, um, and then the last one really is sleep. And boy, now that I'm not traveling, um, I'm getting more sleep than I have in, I don't know how long. It's kind of crazy. I I think back of how many years I went probably sleep deprived, even though sleep was a priority. And that's been really great to get sleep. I find as, as I've gotten older, um, I need it more than I did when I was younger. And so, you know, I, I consider that to be part of my routine. Nice, nice. I, I'm, I'm very curious about this ULA thing. Uh, it sounds really interesting and intriguing. And yeah. I will say to speak about running, I don't know if I love running, but I love like, I, I've been, I did interval uh, an interval run today. So I ran like one minute for 20, 20 different times with a break, 90 second break in between, sort of like uh, working toward uh, a 5K. And I, I kind of follow that. And I say, I, I say that I love feeling I love the feeling of like that rest period and knowing that I did a run and I, I pushed myself but I'm not sure I actually love the process but um <laughs> this ULA thing really sounds interesting and I've it, never heard it's of amazing it yeah yeah it's a really cool process and if you believe in activating your inner power goddess or goddess warrior it's a great it's a great tool for that awesome awesome yeah Cool. I will definitely have to check this out. And it, is it is it a class thing or? It is. It, it, you can see they have lots of classes online. Um, they have several different types of ULA, like ULA 1, um, which is more like yoga. Um, there's a ULA power, which is more strength training. And then definitely the dance, which is um, you know, sophisticated enough dance to keep you mentally activated. But great top, you know, top hit songs. Um, uh, really, really choreographed well. And, and Kaylee uh, Lindner, who created it 10 years ago now, um, it's starting to really have a, not only a national presence, but even a, somewhat of a global presence, which is really cool. Cool, cool. I'll definitely have to investigate and see if that's something that I would want to add to my regimen. I'm trying to basically use all of my downtime on fitness right now. 
Um, I think I've killed my body, but at the same time, I've been kind of lazy due to the pandemic. So I'm making up for lost time. <laughs> That's good. And then all of us are baking more. At least I'm doing a lot more baking. I think my sourdough waffles are going to be the death of me. So I have to work out more. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's the thing. So it's also part of, for me, I've been helping all these restaurants. I brought more than 60, I brought about 68 of them to my driveway and I felt financially responsible to support them as well. So that translated to uh, what I wasn't prepared to do. I was planning on wow. keeping the weight off, but um, working on doing so right now. I, like I said, I was off the wagon for a little while, but now I'm back to it. So it'll be fun. Awesome. Yeah. All right. So uh, the last part of the podcast is something that I like to kind of pull the surprise, the, the people who are being interviewed, but it's really not so difficult. Um, I, I realized in the last podcast, I'm just going to call it the common sense based on the name of the podcast. So if you could give yourself an earlier version of yourself, a piece of advice, what would you tell her? To trust myself more. I think I have great instincts and great intuition. In fact, one of the podcasts that I do, I go do webinars for people, um, and it's really about activating your emotions in the workplace. We've systematically eliminated them and don't value them. We value rational thinking only. And your emotional and intuitional thinking are super valuable. And I really had good common sense. I, had, I just lacked the confidence to overcome that. And I certainly would go back and reclaim that. Nice, nice. I like how you didn't have any pause there and you were ready to answer it. I was like getting ready to mute myself. Because I have to do that for this recording here, but you you just you got this, you got this, and most people are like, "What?" It takes me some time to think about it, and and, and it's funny when I edit the podcast, I edit out like that 10, 15, 30 second break. <laughs> I'm thinking of adding Jeopardy music, but you just got this, you just made it happen. So I, I like it. I think that's important. I think we need to also give into our our younger selves, and and you know, I guess one of the things that I'm seeing and reading recurring theme, um, the recurring theme of when we were younger, we were so much more open to doing things. And mm -hmm. I think we need to trust our younger selves mm -hmm. that we just be a little more freer with how we do things. And because there's so many, I guess there's influences, negative influences that are pushing us away from wanting to do things. Like for example, we're afraid of what other people think. We're afraid of, things not working out, but we would be, we would regret if we didn't do it otherwise. So yeah, hundred percent, it ties back into trusting that entire process and trusting yeah. yourself that what you're looking to do is likely just, it's meant to be, and it's, it's supposed to be something that you should absolutely seize the day for. So yeah. Totally. So, um, where can we find you? You can find me on Twitter. It's at Dana Middleton, and Dana is spelled D-A-I-N-A, -A, and then Middleton is M-I-D-D-L-E-T-O-N. Great, great, awesome. And I guess that's, that's what we got. So thank you so much, all Dana, right. for your time. Thank, thank you. you. I really appreciate it. Thank you all again for tuning in. This is your host, Tamar Weinberg, of the Common Sense Podcast. Until next time, 